0: If today is the starting blocks for you of being um, at Life Point uh, we're grateful that you're here on day number one. If you've been around for a while or you're with us online, we're grateful uh, that you are with us as well as we are continuing in this series that we are calling New. As we're looking at the uh, the revelation uh, of John, of God to John, uh, there as he was on the Isle of Patmos. And what we've said every week and we'll continue to say Every week is that Revelation is more about present hope today, more about present hope than it is about a future calendar. That it was given to us to both comfort and confront us, not to confuse us. What we're learning is that is what we think of the end, right? We, we get all nervous and anxious about the end, either the end of our lives um, or the end of time, what's going to happen. Um, that the end is really just the beginning. Things are really just just getting started uh, as we look at at the revelation. Um, So things are going to shift today because we're going to move from chapter 3 into chapter 4. We've been talking about uh, the churches uh, of uh, Asia Minor so far. Today things are going to shift, but we knew that shift, right? We knew the shift was coming because if you go back to chapter 1, verse 19, um, he says this, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are those things that were are those churches right that he was writing uh to those seven churches of asia minor and those that are to take place after this so today we begin talking about the things that are taking place after this the the after things. so that's why when you get to chapter 4 verse 1 if you want to turn over there if you got a copy of the scriptures we'll jump in and says after this i looked and behold a door standing open so if you're following the artwork uh, for this series, we started bottom left corner, right tree of life that we see in Revelation uh, chapter 1. Then we moved on. You see the lampstands uh, next there. The lampstands were the churches. We've talked about those. And today we start talking about the open door. That's what John says here. He says, I, there was an open door in front of me to see worship in heaven. He says, and the first voice which I heard after speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place um, after this. So when you think about the after things, I think about it um, a little bit like film. Uh, before uh, a few decades ago, whenever you went to a theater and um, and you watched uh, a film, they were really still shots. Right? There was a long tape, and on every picture right was a scene and they just made a move fast enough reel to reel that it looked like things were were moving but they're actually just still scenes uh there uh in shots but they make a move right that's the reason we called it a motion picture right and eventually we refer to it today as a movie just want you to appreciate the kinds of information that you get here, right, um, on a Sunday. Well, essentially what happens in the Revelation is that God comes back to the scene that John was living in, A.D. 90, underneath the authority there of Rome on the island of Patmos, and he picks him up out of A.D. 90, and he transports him to the end of the film. And what we get in chapter four is today we get to see the beginning of the ending Um, of the movie or of the film. And what we're going to talk about today, what we're going to see in Revelation 4 is all about worship. And worship, we would say, or I'm going to define it this way, is that worship is a response to someone or something valuable. Worship is a response to someone or something valuable. And what um, we're going to see is that worship is going to do two things today as we look at Revelation chapter 4. Number one, worship gives God what he deserves, but it simultaneously then gives us what we really need. Worship gives God what he deserves and it gives us uh, what we need. So let's jump back in uh, in verse two and we'll start, uh, we'll start there at once. I was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So the idea here, this is the beginning of worship giving God what he deserves. The first thing, the centerpiece of worship In heaven, Peyton highlighted it uh, earlier. Worship's been going on 24-7. What we're doing right now is not the beginning and the ending of a church service. We're actually joining in the 24-hour, seven-day-a-week worship service going on in heaven. We're just joining our hearts right to that. And the centerpiece of a heavenly worship is a throne. And our king, our God, sits on a throne. Now, in their culture, only four people got to sit on a throne. A king, a warrior, a priest, and a judge. Those are the only four people that got to sit on a throne. And Jesus, it makes sense that he's on the throne because he's all four of those things to us. He's a king ruling over a heavenly kingdom. He's a priest that mediates between um, us and God. He's a warrior, a conquering warrior that has fought uh, and that has won uh, a battle for us. And he's a judge. He's a merciful, kind judge. He's all four. So, what about this king? So, we learn more in the next verse, in verse 3. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance um, of an emerald. So, the first thing that he notices when John sees the throne, what comes out uh, there, what comes out of the throne, are two colors jasper and carnelian. Now, why, why those two? Colors. Why those two jewels? I think it's because in the Old Testament, I think it's a reference to Exodus chapter 28, when God gives the prescription for Aaron, who was the first high priest, to go into the Holy of Holies, he gave prescription for Aaron to wear a breastplate. And on that breastplate were a variety um, of jewels. I'll show you a picture um, of, of those jewels. And the idea is that each one of the jewels, right, is attached to one of the children of the 12 tribes of Israel. So the first one is Reuben, and if you're wondering why it's up in the right-hand corner instead of the left-hand corner, Hebrew reads right to left, where English, right, reads left to right. English reads the other direction. So The first one is here, Reuben, that's Jasper. Think um, Think about the way that we have birthstones attached to months, right? So Reuben is the oldest, and then you come down here to the bottom corner and you've got Benjamin, and Benjamin's stone was carnelian. So I don't think it's an accident that those are the colors that we see attached to the heavenly throne, because the idea is that when God is seated on his throne in eternal worship, what he carries with him, what he carries over his chest, what he carries on his heart are the totality, the whole of his people. So in all of the regale, all of the, all of the heavenly worship that he receives, God's created order, God's people. That's the, thing, uh, that's the thing that's on his heart. But he's not alone uh, there. Um, you look at verse 3. And he who sat, or excuse me, um, he who s- sat on the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne also there was a rainbow, which is the appearance um, of an emerald. So not just are there those colors that come, but we also see, there we see the rainbow. Now, rainbow is used in a variety of ways symbolically today in our culture, but it was originally designed to be a covenant reminder of God's faithfulness. Originally, the rainbow was a, was a covenant that God made with Noah after the flood uh, was over, and it was a promise to Noah that God would never again destroy uh, the earth with water. Now, it doesn't seem like a big deal to us, right? But imagine if you're Noah. When the flood is done, Can you imagine how you would feel the next time it rained? The first time it rains after the, you imagine the panic, right? The anxiety, the worry. How's this gonna go? What's gonna happen? So God gives Noah this covenant reminder, this rainbow as a reminder, hey, I'm faithful. I'm faithful to do Noah what I said I'll do. And what you and I will find as we believe, as we walk this life of faith out in this world, there are moments along the way where God gives us reminders of his covenant faithfulness to us. Um, I was thinking back this week, 20, almost 20 years ago, uh, next year uh, for the anniversary uh, of our church. The night before we had our first church service, I panicked, right? I wanted to change everything. I thought everything was wrong. I wanted to change the stage. I wanted to change the message and I was all worked up about it and I was telling Angie, we need to do this, we need to change this. You know what she just reminded me? That life point was God's idea. It wasn't our idea. It wasn't my idea. And that no matter what I thought about the next day, no matter what I thought about tomorrow, that God would be faithful to his promise because it was his idea. And I wrote in my journal, if you go back uh, and look at it and go back and read it, I just, I wrote in my journal that Angie was a, she was a reminder, a rainbow reminder of God's faithfulness to me. She was right and I was wrong. I didn't write that in my journal, but it was understood. It was was understood that it was there. But God does that, right? He gives us reminders of his faithfulness. Then verse 4. And around the throne there were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones there were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And before the throne there were burning seven torches, of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal and around the throne. And on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front uh, and behind. So the first thing uh, that we see are these 24 elders. Now, who are they? Um, There's a couple of different interpretations of who they are, but I think they are representative of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 Apostles. So you've got kind of this representation of Old Testament faith and this representation of New Testament faith, of all the believers in the Old Testament, and then this representation of all the believers in the New Testament. You say, why do you think that? Well, for example, Matthew chapter 24, when Simon Peter says to Jesus, Lord, we've left everything. We've left everything to follow you. Jesus responds and says, yes, and you all will sit with me on 12 thrones. So I think this is a representation of all believers, Old Testament, New Testament, including uh, you and me today. I think it's a representation of all of us offering God worship. God is seated on his throne, jasper, carnelian, rainbow, out of his throne, peals of thunder, flashes of lightning. There are creatures that are flying around the throne of God, full of eyes in front and behind. I think they're representative of the the angels. I think it's the same creatures that we see in the Old Testament in Ezekiel uh, chapter one. And in all of this, what happens is that God is receiving his just, his due praise. And you're like, well, that's great, Dean, but how does that help me? Right? What is that? What is that even telling me? Well, number one it telling us God's pretty incredible, right? I mean, that's the one thing that we see. But the second thing, it tells us how we can adjust our thinking in terms of in terms of this world, right? I'll give you a little exercise tomorrow. You go into the uh, office tomorrow, or you go into work. Maybe you go into maybe work at a warehouse or whatever. Just get there a little early, and go check out your boss's chair. Your boss's. Uh, his, his seat, wherever he sits, or maybe you're a high school student, you're a middle school student, um, go into class early tomorrow and look at the seat where the, you know, the it guy sits in the classroom or where the girl who kind of rules the school, where she says, just go check it out. You know what you're not going to find? peals of thunder and flashes of lightning right coming out because no matter what our little thrones look like the little throne that your boss sits on or the little throne that the kids who rule the school right sit on they are nothing in comparison to our God. So what? So you can stop being intimidated and stop applying to your own life and to your own heart, how your boss feels about you, how the it guy, the it gal, what they think about you. And you can start living under the authority of the only one who really deserves to sit on a throne because he tells you, he's the one that determines who you are and who I am by the value that he has placed on us. And so because of that, we worship him. Now, worship, sometimes we equate music and worship, and that's okay because music is worship, but music is not the only form, right, of worship. We ascribe worth and value to God in a a variety of ways. And when we do that, God receives the worship that that he deserves. But it's not just that because we pick it up there at the end of verse eight, and it says this, And day and night, they never cease. These 24 elders, these creatures, they never cease to say what we just sang. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worship not only gives God what he deserves, but it gives us what we need. It is super critical and important for us to say that worship is an active response, not a passive one. Because as we move forward in the Revelation series, um, I just think we need to fight a little bit against the idea. And uh, maybe it's super prevalent, maybe not so prevalent for you, but there's this idea that when we go to heaven, we're gonna become, you know, chubby little naked baby angels playing harps, right? Sitting on, sitting on clouds, right? And it's just gonna be this kind of passive thing. That's not what we see in heaven and in eternity. Worship is an active, it's an active response. And so the first thing, we see a couple things, but the first thing that we see is that when we're there, we sing. We sing. And what do we sing? We sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, this is not the only place in Scripture that we see this. There are other places in Scripture, like Isaiah chapter 6, where we get a peek into what's going on in heaven and worshiping it, And we see that there as well. At least three times in Scripture, we see God is called holy, holy, holy. And the word holy, um, we tend to think that word means perfect. That's not what it means. Now, God is perfect, but that's not what this word means. Holy means different. It means sacred. It means set uh, apart, right? And the reason that I think that we see that God is referred to as holy, 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 because nowhere else in the scripture does it say God is love, love, love or God is mercy, 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 right? I think what we learn is that holiness is the defining characteristic. It's the the characteristic that defines all of the other characteristics of God. So what I mean by that is this, God is completely different than us. His love is holy love. His mercy is holy. It's different than our mercy. It's different than our love. Everything about God is utterly different, which explains why in Mark chapter four, whenever the disciples and Jesus, when they're in the boat together and Jesus calms the storm and Jesus goes back to sleeping, the disciples look at each other and what do they say? Who then is this man that even the winds and waves obey him? In other words, we don't even have a category for this guy. That's an expression of Jesus' holiness. They're saying he's utterly different than when he is, he's like out of this world. We've never seen anything like him. God is utterly, utterly holy. We are impatient, he is very patient. We are short sighted, he is enduring. We are judgmental, we are critical, but he is merciful. He is completely different than us. And because of that, we offer him worship, we offer him the praise that he is due. And as we do that, then what happens? As we sing, the singing and the saying changes, it changes you and me to this degree. Gordon McDonald, who's an Old Testament uh, theologian, McDonald says that in the Garden of Eden, pre-fall, pre-sin, he teaches that everything in the Garden of Eden was music. That they didn't speak to each other, they sang to each other. That the Garden of Eden was like one big musical, right? And when you read the language in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, it's very poetic and Maybe he's right, and you're probably thinking, nah, you know, I don't know. I could see it. Can you imagine when Adam wakes up, God creates Eve out of Adam's side, and for the first time, Adam sees his perfect naked wife standing in front of him, and he's like, Ma! I could see a dude doing that. I could see it, right? And so that's why in Revelation, singing is so important we're introduced to 11 new songs in Revelation. It's like, a, it's like a Spotify EP release, if you will, of brand new music for the soul that we are gonna have the opportunity to sing for all eternity. We have the chance to sing holy, 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 to join our worship with, um, with the worship of heaven. And look what happens next in verse 10. And the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him, the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and they, uh, and they were created, right? First thing we sing, the second thing is that we give. First we sing, second thing we sing is that we give. First, there's an audible, um, a vocal response in singing, but then there's this physical response that occurs. And the physical response that occurs is that these 24 elders, again, I believe representative of, of all humanity, all believers, these 24 elders, they climb off of their smaller thrones because who could sit on a throne very long in the presence of the king, they climb off of their thrones and they kneel down and they take off their crowns and they lay their crowns in front of the king of kings. And the lord of lords now there's two ways to look um to look at this number one is that this whole idea of crowns is um is representative of what the new testament teaches that there are five different crowns that believers can earn in their lifespan in their lifetime here five um, eternal rewards, uh, if you will. For example, there's the crown of righteousness, there's the crown of life, for example, for people who endure suffering throughout their lifetime and endure suffering faithfully. And so at this moment, at this point in eternity, what happens is that um, they climb off of their thrones and they lay these rewards, they lay these crowns down at least periodically and offer them back to the one from Whence they came. Now, what does that teach us? First, it teaches us that humility is really the only response to God's holiness. It's the primary response. The first thing that is gonna hit us in the worship, in the present worship of God our King is humility. That's why staying your heart in scripture is so critical because the things that we learn about God in scripture theology, right? The things that I learn about God, how I interact with God, how I pray, how I pray the scriptures back to him. My theology is the thing that fuels my doxology, my praise, right? So everything I learn, everything I read is poured into my heart for the purpose, not just of learning something new or knowing more information or being smarter than than other people, but it's poured into my heart that I would pour it back out. My theology then becomes my doxology. And so when you show up on Sunday, when I show up here on Sunday, I don't come here to get worship. You don't come here to get worship. You bring your worship with you. You're an incredible worshiper, by the way. Do You know that? You were designed to do it. You were created. As a matter of fact, I would tell you, you can't not worship. The only question is what's the object of your worship? Because it's very easy for you and me to dethrone God and enthrone something else. You can enthrone a possession, a house, a car. You can enthrone a career, a job. You can enthrone another human being, a spouse, a friend. You can enthrone your children. That can be the thing in which you are. You can enthrone your self-image and this, this a way that you build yourself up to everybody else, there's a lot of things you can enthrone. And when you do, you're going to worship those things. And what happens a lot of times and here on Sundays is that you show up here and you bring your worship with you. And that's why a lot of times you hear believers say things like, yeah, hey, you know, I just don't like the music. It's just not my, listen, it's okay to have preferences and style, all that's fine. but, I will also say that if you've been worshiping all week and you show up here on Sundays, the worship, the effusive praise pours out of us in in a corporate context, in a corporate body, as we join the worship of heaven and give God what he deserves. It's not that we come as consumers, right? Who want a certain style, a certain drum beat, a certain riff on on a guitar. If you worship the other six days a week, you can worship to anything on Sundays, right? I can go to, um, I can show up at my dad's church um, in Southern Ohio, Ice Creek Missionary Baptist Church, and when I get there, they're gonna open up, the song director is gonna, he's gonna say, open up your hymnal to hymn number 368, and I'm gonna sing, would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, right? That's what we're gonna sing. By the way, it's not power, it's power. That's how we say it in Southern Ohio. And you're gonna say to me, I think you overdo that. So I've got a little piece of sheet music here for you from hymn number 368 in the hymnal. And you're like, well, yeah, it says power right up there in the title. Doesn't matter what the title is, look how we sing it, right? Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's what? Power, Power. it's power. We take the E out because who's got time to say two syllables, right, when you can just say, you can say one, you get to the chorus, right? There's power, 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 what? Wonder working. Power, right? That's how we that's how we sing it. And you know what? It's true. There's incredible power in the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross, and it changes us. And I want to be free. I I can sing, I can worship to that. And you know what? I can show up here on Sundays, and I can worship to the battle, belongs to the Lord. I can worship to guitars, I can worship to a piano, I can worship to an organ because the weight of praise is not what I come to get. It's what I come to give. My praise on Sundays is my offering. So when you show up here, you don't show up here simply as a recipient, but you show up here as a worship leader. You show up here to connect with other people, to bless other people, to encourage other people, not just to receive and to take and to get and to get and to get. And I'll just say, if sometimes you feel like your worship is lacking on Sundays, Not always, but a lot of times, it's probably indicative of the fact that you haven't brought heavenly worship from the other six days of the week with you. Incredible thing about worship is that God gets what he deserves, and when he gets what he deserves, I get. I get what I need. Um, A couple of weeks ago, um, I was... uh, uh, talking with a, texting with an uh, extended family member who's going through a bit of a health scare, um, waiting on test results to come back. And so every now and then we'll text one another a song, maybe once a year, twice a year. When we hear something, the other one uh, maybe hasn't, hasn't heard or uh, something along, along those lines. And so she sent me um, a song. I'd never heard the song. It's called Christ Be All. It's by a group called uh, Grace Uh, worship. And so two weeks ago, this song became a little bit a part of my doxology, right? It got added to my uh, Apple playlist and I started, I started listening to it. And for the rest of this, um, to make sense, you probably need to hear a little bit of the song. That's a long song. It's like, you know, six minutes long and we don't have time for that, but I've cut out a little bit, or actually our team has cut out a little bit of the song for you to hear it. Just, um, just maybe to get used to it for this to make sense. So watch a little bit of the video of the song. So that morning, two Saturday mornings ago, um, I'm outside working on my barn door uh, because one of my children, which shall remain nameless, ran her, her car into my barn door uh, this spring. So I'm out there in my driveway working on my barn door, AirPods are in, praying for my extended family member, and all of a sudden this song comes up um, on my playlist. And my heart just filled, Right? And listen, you all know, right? You know well that, uh, that I can't sing, right? But that little bridge part came on. Bring me low, my heart lower still. And I was thinking about Revelation chapter four. I was thinking about the elders climbing off of their thrones, bending down in humility, laying their crowns down in front of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Bring me low. My heart lowers still. By the way, just push pause there for a second. Sitting behind this wall right here, there's a guy named Matt. And Matt's job is to take our live service and to mix it. He remixes the music and makes it sound appropriate, right, for the uh, for the worldwide Web. And Matt's dad is here from Trinidad visiting today. So let's thank Matt, right? And let's say hey to Matt's dad. And all that to say, me singing, Matt's losing his mind right now. How can I make this? I gotta do something, right? I gotta do something with this. And all of a sudden, man, that, that little bridge for me just built and it built. And right, we live um, out in the country a little bit, so there's not neighbors all around. And so all of a sudden, I, I find myself, I am eyes closed, full full vocal, right? May Christ be... I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to hit that note, right? And I be nothing. Not there. All of a sudden, I hear something. And I turn and look. Fifteen feet away from me, a FedEx truck driver had <laughs> driven up my... <laughs> so I'm looking... He's got both hands on them, and I'm like this. Looked like the Christian version of the karate kid, right? So I walk up to the truck. I mean, what are you going to do? He slides the door open, hands me the box, and I'm like, well, I guess you caught me in a moment of personal worship. Played it so cool. He's like, yep. Yes, <laughs> I did. And so, you know, I walked in the house. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit embarrassed, right? A little bit, oh, and, and you know what? Angie, she just clarified the whole real experience where me. A sense what Angie said to me is she says, you know what? It really doesn't matter because if, even if he doesn't believe it, I bet he believes that you believe it. May Christ be all and I be nothing. He gets the glory. His glories shine through vessels weak. You ever feel weak? Well, that's where he does his best work. May Christ be all and I be nothing. This is my hope. This is my hope. An expression of my worship. This is my hope. Not I, but Christ. In me. That's one way that you look at these elders coming off. There's another way, second way. The only time in their culture that a king ever took off his crown and bowed in front of somebody else is when Rome would crush another group of people, crush another country. They demanded that that conquered king would come in front of Caesar and kneel down and take off his crown and lay it down as an act of utter submission. Why? Because who is on the throne determines who it is that we worship. Who is seated on the throne determines the one that we believe that you are worthy of our worship. There's only two ways to look at life. Just two ways. Either God is on the throne and I am not, or I am on the throne and God is just another thing that I'm trying to somehow involve and work into my life. So I have to actively dethrone myself. I have to actively climb off of the throne. I have to actively, active response, humble myself in front of God. I have to pray that into my life on a regular basis so that I can dethrone myself and enthrone him. And when he has the throne in my life, man, I see things so differently. I don't see myself as a consumer. I see myself as a, as a receiver, right? So if you're here and you're not a Christian and you know you show up at church right? and maybe it's a little different, uh, maybe it's a little different for you and we're singing and you're looking over at somebody and they got a hand up, right? Whether They're not asking for permission to ask a question, right? When they do that, that's not what they're, that's not what they're doing. Or you look over and you see somebody with two hands up. Just a, it's just a thought, a symbol, a response in victory, right? Next Saturday, Ohio State, other college football teams are going to play their first game. And prayerfully, Ohio State's going to score a touchdown against Indiana. What's everybody going to, whoo! Why are we doing that? Victory! And when you look around the room sometimes and you see people sing, and sometimes you see people like this, what are they? Just receiving. Just receiving the encouragement of the word into their hearts, that process of dethroning ourselves and enthroning God. And you're going to say to me, Nobody does that. Nobody gives up power. No king is going to voluntarily give up a crown. And you're right, that rarely happens until you read through the New Testament and you get to Philippians chapter 2, where it says that our God did not consider. Glory. He did not consider equality, eternal equality with God, with a thing that he had to grasp or the thing that he held on to. But instead, instead, he got up off of his throne and he took off his heavenly crown and he came down here to earth and he was found in fashion as a man. And he became obedient unto death, but not just any kind of death, the death of the cross. Jesus took off an earth, or a heavenly crown. He gave up the glory, the righteousness of heaven. He took off his heavenly crown and he came to earth and he traded it for an earthly crown. For a crown of thorns. In giving his life for our sins. But I would just say to you, it's not just for our sins. It's for my sins. It's for your sins sins. A lot of times what defines Christianity for you is the pronouns. It's not just Jesus died for everybody. It's that Jesus died for you. It's not just, is he God? Is he your God? It's not just, is he Jesus? Is he your Jesus? Is it personal? If it's not, I want to give you the opportunity to take that step today of coming into an eternal relationship with God through the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross, resurrected on the third day that gives you and I the power to become the kinds of people that he wants us to become. It's not pie in the sky, by and by, that's going to happen someday. It starts today. And there's, there's not a better day than today there's not a better time than right now. If you're not a believer to come to him and say, I want you to be the authority in my life. You are the King of Kings. I am not. You are the Lord of Lords. I am not. I want to give you that chance right now. Let's pray together. God, we say back to you, bring us bring us low. And I just I pray for anybody who's in the room today who does not have faith, who does not have that personal relationship with you, that this would be their day, that this would be their moment this morning, that they would step into faith. They would step in to coming to know you in a personal way. They would experience salvation this morning. And we just continue in that spirit, that attitude um, of prayer uh, right now. If that's you, if you want to take that step of following Christ personally this morning, um, I'm going to pray, and you can pray with me right there um, in, your, in your seat. You don't have to pray it exactly like I pray it or say it exactly, right, like I, like I say it. Um, it's an expression of your heart this morning. You just pray something like this. Dear Jesus, thank you for leaving heaven. Thank you for giving up glory to come to earth, to subject yourself to a cross, to die for my sins. And Jesus, I'm asking that today you would forgive me of my sins and give me this, this revelation new heart. And today, Jesus, I'm saying that I want you to be the leader. I'll be the follower. I give you authority. Thank you for this salvation gift. We're just gonna stay in that spirit and attitude of prayer right now. I'm I'm going to ask, nobody's looking around. It's a real personal time between people and God. But the scriptures are clear that whenever you take this step, that you don't do it alone and in isolation. So I'm going to ask that you would allow me to be the first person that you tell that you've taken that step just by raising your hand right now. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to ask you to say anything. But would you do that? Just raise your hand and say, yep, today was my day. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Incredible. Thank you, yeah, over in the side section, the middle, yeah, great. Christ would be all. And then God, I pray for those those of us in the room who are believers, I pray, uh, God, that our worship would rise up now in front of you as we gather our hearts again to sing holy forever. I pray that God we would worship on the greatest of days and that we would worship on the more difficult days when the unexpected bill comes in the mail, when the kids um, are fighting, when there are uh, health results, test results hanging out there and things are in the balance. God, you are still just as worthy. And God, it is so helpful to our souls. So we humble ourselves. You alone are worthy. In your name we pray. Amen.